Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Church, listen, listen. Sometimes our faith can be an inconvenience. Sometimes our faith can be an inconvenience. Sometimes it will place us in an inconvenient situation. Our faith can put us at odds with those around us. Our faith can keep us from being promoted at work. For example, when your boss suggests that you lie to keep your job, well, your faith can be an inconvenience. I remember one time Nathalie came home and she was talking to me about what her boss wanted to do, wanted her to do, and how she needed to fudge on the numbers and and make the books look a little bit different. And she said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You can fire me or whatever you need to do, but that's what will happen. How about this? When the guys and the coworkers at your job start telling those filthy jokes while you're standing there. You see, your faith can be an inconvenience. Or how about this? When the cashier gives you more money back than was due to you. Oh. Now, don't look at me like it's a blessing. (laughs) It's a blessing! I got 60 extra dollars. No, 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 no. Your faith kicks in. You're like, oh, no, no, no. Ma'am, you gave me too much. You see, your faith can be an inconvenience. And I want you to think about this. How we respond in such times will determine the quality of our walk with God. Okay, let me say that again because I want you to see that. How we respond in such times will determine the quality of our walk with God. We learned this lesson from a fella by the name of Daniel. Daniel and his friends, they demonstrate to us that you can maintain your faith even when you're in a compromising environment. What a great book. Now, before we jump into our text, we need to do some work. So let me give you some background and set the stage as we, as we are just excited for the journey in the book of Daniel. If you have a pencil handy, you can write this down. Daniel, his name means God is my judge. God is my judge. He was a statement in the court of the heathen monarchs. He and his friends were taken captive when they were very, very young. They were taken captives from Israel to Babylon. Babylon, if you remember, is modern-day Iraq. A king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, about 605 B.C., comes in, and uh, the record of the events extends all the, way, all the way to the year of Cyrus in 536 B.C. So it covers about a span of 70 years. You've got to understand that this is going to be key. See, the book of Daniel is not only going to give us a prophetic timeline where everybody's interested in, well, what's Daniel's 70th week and how does that play out? Oh, by the way, did you hear that Russia is now starting to, and, and, and all of this stuff, and, and, and this is real life for us. 
You see, what I found out today was that Russia and the Ukraine, they didn't think that was a war. But now they're starting to draft civilians so there could be a war. What? Well, how does this affect prophecy? I don't know. But we know it's crazy. We know, it's, we know what they're going to do in Ezekiel. I know that. But it's just, it's nuts. But it also, the book of Daniel, for us guys, it's going to be some great, great application to help us in everyday life. So, it covers about 70 years. Here's what I want you to catch. Catch this. Daniel spent the rest of his life in a foreign land waiting to return back to Jerusalem. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? You are being taken from where you live, everything you know, into a foreign land, and all you want to do is go home. All you want to do is go home. History suggests, if you're taking note, that Daniel died at the age of 86 in Babylon. In Babylon, which means he was about 16 when he was taken from his home. Can you imagine a 16-year-old? Let's go. Never to see your family again. Now, according to Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it reads this. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, I give you that verse. Here's what I want you to see this, and why, why I have this important, okay? Because I want you to see that Daniel is the author of this book. Daniel, why? Because it says you, but you, Daniel. And as a matter of fact, Jesus actually identifies him as a prophet. In Matthew 24, 15, Jesus said, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads and let him understand. We covered that just a few weeks ago in our Matthew study, but Jesus spoke of Daniel the prophet. Now, Ben, why do you want me to see that? Here's what I want you to see. Now, remember, I'm just laying the groundwork, okay? I'm setting the stage. Why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because at Calvary Chapel, you have to have the foundation. You have to know from the beginning to the end to understand the book. Why? Because a verse taken out of context becomes a pretext, and then we can make it say whatever it wants. We are going to be the best fed church that we can possibly be. That says nothing, I don't say anything about any other church, but you all, or in Texas, y'all, I want you to be the best fed, understanding the text. So we say Daniel, yes, Daniel, yes, Daniel is the author, he's Daniel the prophet. But for the sake of our study, let me say this to you. There have been some folks who seek to disprove that Daniel was in fact the writer of the book. Did you know that? Like, I didn't know that. And you go, why? Well, here's the main reason. One of the basic premises for their proof is that it would be impossible, everybody say impossible, to describe with such accuracy the events that have not yet taken place. Therefore, it was written by some man a couple of centuries later after the fact, and he put his name, Daniel, to it. 
That's the main reason. There's no way. There's no way it can be with such accuracy. Somebody, you know, say this. No, 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 no. So I know what happened. This fellow read the newspaper and he said, oh, let me go back and I'll change some dates. Now, let's chat for just a moment. Number one, people who seek to disprove the Bible. There are men who spend their lifetimes seeking to prove that the Bible is not all that it purports to be. You go, what does that mean? It's, they spend their whole lives saying, no, 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 it's not the word of God. And their whole premise for their reasoning and are trying to take some aspect of the Bible and show that it isn't what it claims to be. One of the favorite tactics of these men are to take various books of the Bible and try to prove that they're not written by these authors or and that they claim to be written by. They say, no, 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 no. See, Daniel, let me, let me give you a verse. If you'll notice that, that most of these guys will t- attack Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was... No, 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 that's John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. See, if we believe Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, then it's easy to believe the rest of the Bible. You understand that? Okay? The rest is, is easy, because if you believe that God created out of nothing, the Word is bada, bada, created out of nothing, the heavens and the earth, hey, the rest... There's nothing impossible that the Son of God can't do. When he sits at the tomb and he says, Lazarus! There he comes. We believe that, don't we? We believe that. When we believe this little 14-year-old, this virgin gave birth to, to the Son of God, and everybody goes, oh, I don't know if I believe. Of course we believe that. Why? Because if you believe Genesis 1-1, the rest is easy. The rest is, if you don't believe Genesis 1-1, you're going to struggle with the Word of God. You're going to struggle. There's going to be doubts and disappointments. Well, that's what these men do. These men go, whoa, whoa, okay, well, we, we won't necessarily attack Genesis 1-1, but let's attack the author. Why? Because if I can get you to... And that's what they do. Now, the book of Daniel has come under this cloak, if you will, of what you call higher criticism. And there have been many who have tried to prove that the book of Daniel was not really written by Daniel. Now, for the sake of our study, the first attack came on the traditional 6th century BC, the day of writing this book, from a fellow by the name of Porphyry. Porphyry. And he lived about 232 uh, to 303 A.D. Just remember his name. Why? Because this man, he was a vigorous opponent of Christianity. And this man maintained that the book was written by an unknown Jew who lived at the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay? This view then became widely promoted by scholars in the 18th and 19th centuries following the reason. Let me give you an example. Let me give you, let me just sidestep the pulpit for just a moment. Because there's a lot of people who will come and they will tell you there is no such thing as the rapture of the church. That was actually made up in the 1800s. And yet, if we study scripture, 
they were talking about it way before the 18th century. But then scholars held on to that and go, yeah, there's not a hard podzo. There's not a, we're not going to be raptured. We're not going home. Oh, and everybody gets what? Discouraged. Think about this. Think about this. Guys, let your heart rejoice. For if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're going to hear the trumpet sound. And you're going to go home. And here's the problem. The problem is, is that, is that not only are we homesick, we're here sick. And being here sick, we're going, man, I just want to go home. But I understand. I'm just not. And, 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 and you've got to grasp that. Why? But we should be comforting one another with these words. Sister, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through. Listen, here's the thing. God has never forsaken us. He's never left us out to dry. Oh, many people will come and they'll blame God. Well, God, if it wasn't for God. No, 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 no. It was you. It was your bad choice. And now you're blaming God. And God has never, he's never left us. He's never forsaked us. He loves us. And that, that day's coming, church. That day's coming. So next time you get stressed, put the brakes. Put the bra- Oh, why am I stressed? Why am I stressed? And it's easy to do. Trust me. You start thinking, all the stuff I got to do. Oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. Oh, not, nobody's ever going to do it. Let's take a breath. Lord, you can come back tonight, and here I was all stressed out. Come on now. Some of you are stressed about going to work tomorrow. Some of you are not stressed about going to work tomorrow. That's cool. But that's okay. The point is we're stressed about things, and, and here's what I'm trying to I'm trying to encourage you. Don't be. The Lord's coming. He's on his way. And he's going to restore all things and it's going to be glorious. Now, here's the problem. Here's the, You ready? You want to know what the problem is? We haven't experienced it. And because we haven't experienced it, we're yet to see what it's going to be like. And when we don't know what it's like, we're just like, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Daniel, Daniel, a lot of the scholars got here in the 18th and 19th century started following. And here's what they said. It's impossible for someone to describe with 100% accuracy events that not, had not taken place. And you know what? I would agree with that. It would, uh, you know what? Listen, here's what I'm going to tell you at 9.05 PM, such and such is going to happen. You go, no, it's not. It's impossible. It is impossible unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and God has given you that, then it's very possible. But here they're fighting it, right? You go, well, what else? Well, here's another reason. They take the fact that there are about three Greek words in the book of Daniel, and then there's some Persian words here in the book of Daniel. And so they go, there's no way he could do this. And as a matter of fact, jot this down. I want you to see. Daniel is the only book where it's, not only Hebrew, but there's also a, um, there's some Persian words, and then there's also some, it's written in Aramaic. And so you're like, wow, whoa, wait a minute. So here's what's going on, right? They're saying, okay, um, the book of Daniel is written in Hebrew, partially in Aramaic, the ancient language of Syria, and it's like the, Chal- the Chaldaic language. 
And so Persian and Greek words used in the book would have been unknown to 6th century Jewish author. There's no way he could have known this. And so they go, see, see, this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. And the fact that Daniel actually employs some of these words, they go only to prove that Daniel was the intended author that he says. You go, how so? Here's what I want you to think about. A wise man, a counselor in the court of the kings, he would have met Greeks, he would have met Persians, he would have met people from all over the world as the capacity of an officer in the Babylonian kingdom. So he would have, re- he would have learned. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's so funny. You want to hear something really funny? My friend Tom Yant, who we both grow up in New Mexico, his last name is Yant, that's who we went to visit, knows more Spanish than I do. I'm not kidding you. He's like, he could, and, and how, why? How did he learn it? He, he just learned it in the culture that we both grew up in. My folks said, no, 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 we're not going to sh- teach you. We want you to grow up and have a normal lifestyle. We don't want anybody to look down on you. And yet now we need it. And these were like, well, you know English. And so he knows more Spanish than me. It's the craziest thing. Now, I can hold my own, but I probably can't go very far. So, what's your point? Daniel would have learned these words, guys. Daniel would have learned Aramaic. He might have said to somebody, hey, what, what does that mean? Oh, okay, let me see. How do you pronounce that? Like we do. Like we do. So as we journey through this great book, you're probably wondering, why are you bringing up the history of men who tried to disprove the Bible the, to disprove that Daniel wrote this book. Why are you saying that? Let me tell you this. Jot this down. The enemy will go to great lengths to bring doubt upon the Word of God. The enemy will go through great lengths. If we begin to walk by sight, we'll begin to doubt the Word of God. And once we doubt or discredit the Holy Word of God, then we ourselves are walking on dangerous ground. That's why. There was a preacher by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. And G. Campbell Morgan had already enjoyed some great success in the ministry by the time he was 19 years old. But then he was attacked by the doubts about the Bible. Now, I know every one of us in this room can relate. There have been a time or two where we go, God, is this really your word? Did man really write this? And then my God so lovingly goes to great lengths to prove that he wrote the word. Because you shake your head and go, man, there's no way man could have wrote this. Because it ties in so beautifully. So G. Campbell Morgan, who was like, ah, oh, I'm just having, I'm having some doubts. And, and so he started listening to the writings of various scientists and, and some agnostics, and it disturbed him. Men like Charles Darwin or John Tyndall or Thomas Huxley or Herbert Spencer, 
And as he read their books, he listened to debates. Morgan became more and more perplexed. What did he do? Here's what he did. You ready? He canceled all his preaching engagements, put all the books in a cupboard, locked the door, went to the bookstore, bought a brand new Bible. He said to himself, I am no longer sure what this is, what my father claims it to be, the word of God. But if this is, but of this, I am sure if it be the word of God, if I come to it with unprejudiced and an open mind, it will bring assurance to the soul of itself. The result The Bible found me, said Morgan. The new assurance in 1883 gave him the motivation for his preaching and teaching ministry. He devoted himself to the study and the preaching of the Word of God. Guys, think about it. Think about it. So many things are vying for your attention. So many things are trying to pull you away from the study of the Word of God. We think that the phone was a great invention, and we think that this was a miracle, but it actually is taking us away from the study of God's Word. And if we're being honest in church, It's really hard to sit and read God's Word without looking at your phone three or four times. You see, they've designed it specifically for a ding. They've designed it specifically like, bloop, oh wait. And you guys know this because you'll sit down with your Bible, pen in hand, saying, Lord, speak to me. Your phone hasn't gone off all day long, but at that moment... You'll get three or four texts, and the phone will ring, and you'll be spam-risked all your life. So it's important. Why? Well, remember, your enemy, the enemy will go to great lengths to bring doubt upon the Word of God. Is the Word of God true? So, That really is the extent of what we're going to talk about, about those who seek to prove the word of God. Why? Jot this down. Truth doesn't need to be defended. Truth doesn't need to be defended. So what we're going to do, we're not going to go anymore with any arguments or the arguments of the authorship of the book. Well, Ben, you brought it up. Okay, well, here's the thing. We're just going to assume that Daniel wrote the book. He was, we know that he wrote the book. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, you go, well, Ben, what's your point? Here it is, really. Let's not spend our time seeking to determine authorship. Let's do this. Let's spend our time seeking to determine what does God want to say to me? And that's what is important. So tonight, what does God want to say to you? Why are you here? Or we can say, so what? I want to know. Because we look forward to the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. So that was some background. Let me set the stage. Let me set the stage. In the year 605 BC, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and others captive back to Babylon. This event, if you're taking note, is recorded by Jeremiah the prophet. 
But he calls it a little bit different. He calls it the Battle of Carchemish. Carchemish. King Nebuchadnezzar actually defeated the Egyptian forces. In Jeremiah 46 and 2, drop that down, it says this, Against Egypt concerning the army of Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Carchemish, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. This is the very same thing. What happens, guys, King Nebuchadnezzar entered Israel, took Daniel and others hostage, and he brought them back to Babylon. You go, well, what's the application? Well, here's what I want you to see. So now you have Daniel living in a foreign land, stripped away from everything and everyone he loved. My question to you, sir, is how can Daniel be expected to maintain a faith when he's been taken hostage in a cruel and idolatrous world? How can he? And that would be the same question to you. How can you be expected to maintain your faith in the job that you work at? In the place that you live? In the school that you go to? That's a good question. Why? Because in our world, it's pretty heathen. It's idolatrous. Wouldn't you agree? Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. You're going to go, okay, okay. So what do we do? What do we do? Jot this down. Daniel had determined... To stay Hebrew, not heathen. Daniel had determined to stay Hebrew, not heathen. Okay? Look at, look at verse 8 in your Bibles for just a moment. I want you to see this, underline it, highlight it. This is going to be so sweet. Notice, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Before anything happens. Before anything. Now, now listen, listen to me. We're going to cover this in a couple of weeks, but I want, I want you to see this. Daniel purposed in his heart. Way before verse 8. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Daniel purposed in his heart way before the food thing. What did he purpose? He had purposed in his heart to maintain his faith to God. Think about it for just a moment. What are they doing to Daniel? They're doing to Daniel the same thing that the world seeks to do to you. How so? Well, Daniel and the boys, okay, they're going to be taught at the University of Babylon for three years. You understand that. They're going to be indoctrinated. Why? Well, the Babylonians wanted Daniel and the boys to do what? They wanted him to think, to eat, to act, to live like Babylonians, The purpose of this course was to transform Jewish boys into Babylonians. This meant they were uprooted and taken to another country. Think about this. The new land was about 900 miles from Jerusalem. That's a long way from home. 
They were given new names. They were given all Babylonian names. No, 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 no. See, you're not Mary anymore. We're going to change your name. No, 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 but you don't understand. I've always answered to Mary. I've always answered to Joseph. I've out, No, no, we're changing your name. You, you understand that, two Babylonian names. Well, what else are they going to do? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to introduce you to new customs, new ideas, new lifestyles, new thinking. Really? Yeah, it's all Babylonian. This is what we're going to do. They were taught a new language. They were taught Aramaic or Chaldee. You can write that down. They were taught a new language. No, 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 I'm going to speak Hebrew. No, 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 we don't speak Hebrew. We're going to speak Aramaic. You understand, for three years, the Babylonian teachers would attempt, here, here's what you need to see, they attempted to brainwash Daniel and his three friends. I wonder what they employed to get them not to talk Hebrew. Stop it. Don't say that. You're in solitary confinement. You need to learn Babylonian. You need to speak to them. Let me give you a spoiler alert, okay? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are given Babylonian names. And think about this. Whenever we see Daniel, Daniel's name was changed. We'll see that later on. But every time he's mentioned, he employs the name Daniel. You go, what is what does that mean? Daniel, before verse 8, purposed to stay Hebrew, not heathen. Do you realize that he's 16 years old and he's made a decision that he's going to follow God regardless of where he's living? He's going to live for God. He's going to honor God. He's 16 years old. You know what I was doing when I was 16? I'm not going to tell you. It was a long time ago. You understand that, right? At 16, it was probably cars and girls and school and whatever. He's purposing. Wow, guys. You see... I've entitled this message, Maintaining Our Faith in a Compromising World. And does not Daniel seem to be like ours? You go, what do you mean? When you became a fully devoted follower of Jesus, you realized one thing. You go, what's that? You too are far away from your true home, which is in heaven. You realize that. I want you to think about this. I want you to think for just a moment. I want you to think about the day you got saved. You, the day you surrendered complete. You knew this was it. Like you go, <sighs> I want you to think about that. I'm not talking about where you prayed a prayer, you walked forward, and well, at eight years old, I walked forward in a church. I didn't know what I was doing. No, no, no. I'm talking about when you really got saved. Can I get an amen? Okay, I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about that if salvation was simply, hey, we just want you saved. We just want, we just want to get you saved. Then you would have hoped at that moment, guess what? I'm going home. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Boom! 
He takes us home. Why? I'm saved! But he doesn't. He leaves us here. We're far away from home. Why? Because just like Daniel and the fellows, he's got a plan for us. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. You see, every one of us has a divine purpose. God has called you to live that purpose. You go, well, Ben, I'm just a housewife. You're not just a housewife. That's your divine purpose. That's what God is using as you grow your little ones up, as you, as you, whatever God has called you. I told the folks in South Dakota and Sioux Falls, I told them I have, I found my purpose and I told them my dream about the truck and I was telling people to get in the truck and, and, and then people at, after service came up to me, he goes, well, you know, can I ask you a question? I'm like, okay. And he's like, isn't everybody's purpose to just preach the gospel? And I said, yes, we all have a general purpose. But I'm telling you that God has a divine purpose specifically for your life. You know it. You know it. It's how God uses you. But see, life can get pretty drag. It just can be a drag if we don't understand and walk in our purpose. It can be kind of boring and uneventful. No, I want to walk in my purpose. What's your purpose? Here's the beautiful thing, guys. Here's the beautiful thing. As God has gifted me as an evangelist, I see people get saved all the time, but I don't really think twice about it, if you understand that. Not that they're not saved. I want them to be saved and discipled, but I'm just going, that's a God thing. That's a God thing. Well, Ben, eight or ten people got saved. Twenty people in Rio Rancho just last, in, in July, how many people came? A bunch of people came forward. Amen. But I don't think twice about it, like, oh, Lord, wow, how many people got saved? <laughs> Hold on, let me write them down. I want to keep a resume. Lord, look, because it's not me, but I'm living in my purpose. And you know what my purpose is? Is that people get saved. And I told the people in Sioux Falls, I said, you know what our goal is? Is to depopulate hell and populate heaven. That's our goal. And how do we do it? By the way we live, church. Okay, by the way we live, how we open up our heart and we share and we give to others and we love and we listen and we have compassion and mercy on other people. By giving. Not by taking and receiving. Guys, think about what God, I believe that, that we could set Lubbock on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we'll just live out the scriptures. You see, I've always felt like God has called us that we need to have the same heart that Christ has. And if we look at scripture, what was Christ? He was always loving. He was. Ta- he took time to meet with people. He took time to love on people. He took time to hear people. You see, he knew the rich young ruler. He probably knew in his heart that the rich young ruler would not, would not be saved. And Jesus didn't go, oh, I'm not going to waste my time with you. No, he said, listen, come on, what, what do you want? What do you need? Why do you call me good? And he, and he interacted with them. Can I ask you a question, church? I want you to think about this. Is it your time or is it God's time? Oh, I don't want people to waste my time. Is it your time or is it God's time? You see, every breath in us belongs to God. Every minute we have belongs to Him. It's not our time. It's His time. 
Now, don't waste his time. You see, we've got, we've got a mission. We're a long way from home in a foreign land, aren't we? And heaven is our home, and we're going to go home. And here's the sad part. Some of us are going to die in this foreign land. But we get to go home. We are also being taught at the university of the world. The world wants us to eat, think, act, and live like they do. Its purpose is trying to conform us to this world. For what reason? To compromise our faith and walks every day. That's what it's trying to do, compromise our faith. Okay, so what do we do? What do we do? Here's the question. How do we maintain our faith in a compromising world? How do we do this? How do we say, mm, no, I'm going to follow you. I'm not. I'm going to purpose. I'm not. How do we do this? You guys ready? Jot this down. Number one, make sure we have a non-negotiable faith in God. It's non-negotiable. Make sure you have a non-negotiable. You see... Think about this. Even as young boys at the age of 16, Daniel and his three friends established a non-negotiable in their lives. Non-negotiable. Non-negotiables are more than just a set of religious beliefs. You know what it is? It's a commitment to risk everything we have or we are for the faith that we hold. That's a non-negotiable. That's a non-negotiable. You also want to know what a non-negotiable faith is? It refuses submit to the lie of the situation ethics. It holds truth as absolute and practical in every situation. It's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. We too should purpose to have a non-negotiable faith in God. Even when the university is laughing at us. Ha, 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 you believe in God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Prove me wrong. God is God. And he's on the throne. Yeah, well, no, no. He's going to sort it out. Well, I don't see your God. That's because you can't see him. But I see him in you. I see him in you. I see him when you're hugging each other and you're lifting up each other and you're praying for each other. I see him when you take out your wallet and you buy stuff for other people and you give them food and you give them money and you just say, hey, I see him in you when you just, you just say, hey, I'm praying for you. I hope you have a great day. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, and this really convicted me today, it was Charles said, before we can have the souls of men, we need to have those tears for those souls. And I thought, when was the last time I weeped for souls? We need to weep for the souls of people. 
Listen to me, church. It's not about filling up all these blue chairs, but it's about seeing people having a victorious walk with God and seeing Him saved and seeing Him saved. I've seen salvation, guys. Salvation changes us from the inside out. It changes our thinking. It changes what we say. It changes our behavior. We have the, once we're born again, we, have, we, we can lay down the non-negotiables. Now, here's the question. What are some non-negotiables? You ready? Let me give you these. Here's some non-negotiables we can learn. I want you to jot these down. I'm going to give you the scripture to match them. You ready? Number one, here's some non-negotiables we can learn from. Number one, seek God, not sin. Seek God, not sin. Amos 5.4 says, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me that you may live. Why do I say that? Because sin is easy to seek. Sin doesn't hide, and we can find it very easily. But if I'm going to have a non-negotiable faith like Daniel, then I need to seek God, not sin. Seek God. How do I seek God? How does that, what does that look like in my life? Well, maybe it's a little bit less television or movies or Internet or social media. I don't know what it means in our life, but we need to stop. We really need to stop and say, Lord, what is it? I want to seek you. I want to seek you. And let me just say this to you. If you were to purpose to say, Lord, I'm going to seek you. I just want, I just want, to, I want you to reveal your purpose and your plan for me. What am I supposed to be doing? You're going to be distracted all kinds. Because that's what the enemy does. Hey! No, 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 no. Number two. Fear God, not men. Fear God, not men. Proverbs 19 and 23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Okay? So who are we fearing? We fear God. We fear God, not men. The fear of the Lord leads to life. I'm just going to say this and we'll move on. How big is God in your life? How big is God in your life? No, 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 seriously, because I've got a lot of problems. Can't you tell? No, I've got a lot of problems. But God is bigger. You know what my problem is? I don't always act like God is bigger. But he is. And so I sit here and I say, okay, okay. So I need to seek God, not sin. Don't go after sin. I need to put some safeguards in my life to make sure that there's, the sin doesn't come creeping in. Some good safeguards. Okay, okay, I got that. Fear God, not men. Okay, I can do that. What does that mean? What does that look like in your life when, you're, when your boss is telling you, if you don't, then you will be fired? Do we trust God enough to say, then fire me? Or do we... Compromise. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I've got a family to feed. God is bigger. Well, Pastor, you don't understand. No, I understand, but I want to have the faith of Daniel to go, look, God, you're going to do this. And it may be rough, but I trust you. 
Because if I compromise my faith in a little part, hey, would you just fudge the books a little? Oh, yeah. Okay, not a problem. I just can't keep my job. You'll compromise your faith when the, when the going gets tough. Right, number three? Number three, write this down, number three. Love God, not the world. It says in 1 John 2, 15, it says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Okay? So what is it? Well, Ben, you know, it's the world. No, no, no. Love God, not the world. Do you realize that the first three here are all things that we have to purpose? We have to purpose to what? To seek God. I have to purpose to seek God. It's not just, I wish, I wish supernaturally. Bible knowledge, super super saint, wonderful Christian. Ah, It doesn't work that way. We have to we have to purpose. We have to purpose to seek God. We have to purpose to fear God. Ah, in reverence. We have to purpose to love God, not the world. And number four, we have to purpose to believe God, not the deceiver. Believe God. Who? God. Why? And John eight forty four says, You are you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning that does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Who are we believing? We're believing God. We're believing God. Come on, church. Let me give you a quick quiz. Let me give you a quick quiz. Here's where I got busted. You ready? When we pray, do we believe? We, 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 we got to believe it. When you pray for salvation from someone, do you believe that God can do it? You see, sometimes we feel like it's a, it's a, it, 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 it's a, it, whatever it is, a crapshoot, a roulette reel, whatever. Okay, God, here we go. Amen? And we hope that, and then we're not disappointed if it doesn't happen. Well, I don't think God answered that prayer. Okay, cool. I didn't, I didn't think he would anyway. But, I don't, but, but it tells us in the word of God to pray and not doubt. Trust him. I trust your sovereignty, Lord. I trust that you're going to work in my life. You're going to trust and work in other people's life. God, I trust that. I believe in that. And I want to live in that. Listen to me, church. The foreign land you're living in is bombarding you 24-7. You don't think it's hitting you. It's going after you hard. It's trying to get you to change your thinking, your mind, how you look at life. How you look at God, how to doubt the Bible. You know when we compromise the most is when we doubt the Word of God. You know when we compromise, it's like, uh, I don't know. Wasn't, wasn't that the first? Did God really say? Did God really say? Well, I don't know. You know, Eve's, has a, Eve's having a dialogue with the snake. Well, I don't know. Well, he said, you know what? Did God really say? Yes.
Guys, we need to believe God and not the deceiver. Think about it like this. In 1938, a man in Long Island, he ordered a very expensive weather barometer. He got it home. He was so excited. 1938. He unwrapped it, looked at it, realized the arrow that was supposed to reflect the weather that he was experiencing was stuck at the bottom pointing to hurricane. So he hits it and he hits it and slams it down a few times and you know how we do, right? Still pointing to hurricane. Oh, this thing is broken. So what did he do? He slammed it down a few times, and when it didn't respond, he wrote a hot letter to the manufacturer and mailed it off on the way to work. When he came home, he found that a hurricane had hit, and everything was gone. Who did he believe? What can we learn from Daniel and his friends? So... When Daniel's in Babylon, he sits down to pen this letter. So next week, we'll cover verses 1 to 7, and we'll talk more about these non-negotiables in our walk. But let's close with this. Sometimes our faith can be an inconvenience. Sometimes it will place us in an inconvenient situation. Our faith will at times, put us at odds with those around us. How do we respond in such times will determine the quality of our walk with God. Tonight, may I encourage you to determine that we will not compromise our faith. May we leave here saying, I'm not going to do this. Let us determine to live with non-negotiables. Things that we're not going to compromise for any reason. That's what we want to do. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what? Paul is saying to the Romans, don't let the world put or squeeze you into its pattern. Don't let the world fashion or form or mold you. Many times you cannot tell the church apart from the world. They have almost mixed and blended together. Oftentimes the church wants to dress and talk and act like the world. So what's our message? We go, so what, Pastor? What do I do? Here it is. Let us not compromise our Christian beliefs in the present evil world. Let me leave you with this story. You guys know the story. Do you guys know the story of Lot? Do you remember Lot? Where did Lot end up? Well, first he moved near Sodom. Do you guys remember that? Genesis thirteen twelve. He just moved near. Wasn't going to go in, just near Sodom. Then in the next chapter, we find that Lot actually moved into Sodom. Chapter 14, verse 12. 
Then in chapter 19, verse 14, we see that Lot had compromised to the point where he was useless. How so? His future son, his future sons-in-law thought he was joking. They didn't take him very seriously. Why? Because Lot had blended into the rest of the crowd so well at Sodom that they didn't take him seriously. What a perfect picture of what it means to compromise. Father, we thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word, Lord. We thank you for just the introduction. We look forward, and Lord, just thinking about Daniel, how he didn't compromise, how he purposed in his heart, Lord, gives us the courage to purpose in our hearts. Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that every one of us, every one of us um, would purpose, determine. Lord, I've heard teachings that we would determine to be a Daniel. But Lord, much more than that, Lord, that, I would, that we would be more like Jesus. And walking in this evil world, we kept our eyes on you. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for your great love for us. Lord, as we, as we just wait upon your Holy Spirit, just wait. Maybe you're here tonight, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he began to knock on your heart ever so beautifully and ever so gently. And maybe you came here tonight, and you hadn't planned to move near Sodom, if you will, and, and you thought, hey, I'll just, um, I won't compromise my faith, I'll just, this is what I'm going to do, or... And tonight, you find yourself living in Sodom. And you're like, you know what, Ben, I, I, I realized it happened over time, slowly but surely. I'm compromising my walk. I claim to be a Christian, but I don't think anybody knows that I am. You know what? Tonight, you can be set free. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to move out of Sodom. You see, the Lord stands open right, ready to forgive you and say, hey, let's, let's, let's start anew tonight. But you have to be willing. You go, what do I have to do, Pastor? Hey, would you just pray? Would you just pray, make a declaration that tonight I, I purpose not to, to compromise. I'll listen to the power of your Holy Spirit when it convicts me that I'm watching too many TV, too, watching too much TV, or I'm playing too many video games, I'm on the on social media too much, Lord. I I want to listen to your Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, I have to take some active steps, some active steps to to not compromise, Lord. I have to put some safeguards in my life. Lord, the world, the deceiver, the devil, the enemy is trying. Lord, Lord, they can't take, Lord, they can't take our salvation, but he can definitely shelve us. He can definitely just irritate us, Lord. And listen, since we're a family and it's Wednesday night, if you're here tonight and um, God is speaking to you, 
and you just need prayer, you just say, hey, I, I, I've, I've moved close to Sodom. I, mean, I just moved close to Sodom. We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. I'm going to be up here. All you have to do, don't, don't even worry about it. As we sing this last worship song, hey, just get up out of your seat, come and stand, and we'll just pray together. We'll believe together, and we'll just make a stand tonight. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, why don't you come up, and we'll pray for you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.